um, there's been such a, a crackdown on QAnon accounts, and then they shifted to Parler, and then Parler disappeared. So um, QAnon's kind of gone underground for the moment. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we discuss all the topics that you were told not to discuss in Polite Company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. Yes, welcome back, Joel. Great to be back. It's, oh, okay, so before we move on with the podcast, Joel, how are you feeling? I had COVID, and it was a very mild case. And I'm feeling fine. Um, my dad had to go to the hospital. So we're going to get into conspiracy theories. And a lot of people don't believe in COVID. I'm just begging people, man, after you've had it or loved ones have had to go to the hospital, you just want to spread the news for everyone to be super, super careful. But big advice I have is watch out for people with symptoms. That's kind of the big lesson that that we learned. Watch out for people with symptoms. If, if, if people around you have symptoms, yeah, it doesn't hurt to, to quarantine to get to stay away or you know be careful. So anyway, I'm fine. It was very mild uh, COVID for me. That's crazy because a couple episodes ago we were just saying like, hey, do you know anyone who has COVID? Well, and yeah. now I and now I do. <laughs> it's <Yep>. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my whole family. And you know, here's another thing that I've come to totally believe: a lot of people are kind of feeling guilty. But the thing about COVID is you don't know who gave it to who. That's one thing you just do not. There's no markers in the genes of COVID that you can follow and figure out who you got it for. So cut the guilt, people, and just uh, be safe. No guilt. Um, and, and we kind of went through that. That's why I'm bringing it up as a family. But that's ridiculous, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm just glad that you're doing well. You didn't get really sick. You had like a mild case of it, right? Yeah, for me, it was like a lot of people, it was like, a. I mean, most colds are way worse than this was. But um, for for a few people in my family, it was massive headaches. For And then what they call the COVID fog. The mm. COVID fog is interesting. They, they uh, A couple of people in my family just did not, could not think straight, basically. And, and that was one of the most interesting topics. I did lose my sense of taste and smell for a couple of days. And that was interesting. And when that hits you, you're like, oh, crap, I wonder how worse it's going to get. But it never got worse than that. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And what's really funny is we were going to record. And then you're like, well, yeah. I don't know, because I'm not feeling well. And then I was like, well, maybe we, so we can social distance. And then we're like, well, let's just give it time. And then yeah, you yep. got tested. So Woo. Hey, and that that will bring me to my third advice since I've gone through it, and I feel like I'm the master advice now on it, haha, <laughs> is that the 14 days, because I probably got it from somebody in my household who was already beyond the 14 days. So because we stopped quarantined after like four or five days of everyone being healthy. And so I'm not sure that that is, of course, it's not 100%. And people just need to know that. So the 14 days is just like a rule of thumb. It's not a hard. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Well, we're glad you're back. And we're glad you're healthy, Joel. So that's awesome. We were joined today by David Laverty, who is a contributor to wherepeteris.com. Uh, he's also uh, involved with higher education, and he's an expert on conspiracy theories. He's written numerous papers on the subject. Um, and we want to talk to him about QAnon, um, especially now after the January 6th Capitol riots um, and the inauguration of Joe Biden. Very interesting subject. Super interesting. Lots of insight. And we want to thank him for being on our podcast again. Um, before we move on, though, Joel, what are you drinking over there? I have two beers on tap, and I'm so bummed that we weren't able to, to meet in person, Jose, and, and may not for a while, but I don't know, maybe we can social distance after the numbers start looking better. I have a, um, a wheat beer on tap that I made about two months ago, and then I have, uh, and I'm really proud of this um, peanut butter stout. You know how we've always talked about peanut butter stout on the show, so I made my own, and it actually turned out pretty good. And for all you uh, beer makers out there, brewers out there, I did something this time, which I totally am going to do from now on. And I think you all ought to try, especially you kind of quasi beer makers like me that use only liquid extract. I made four gallons instead of five because my beer has always been a little too watery and it made a world of difference. So 
all you beer makers out there who always make five gallons, try four if your beer is a little watery. I think it's out, it's just better that way. Okay, what are you drinking, Jose? Well, I wish I was drinking what you've got. Um, <laughs> yes, I can't wait. I'll have it for a while. Uh, I'm jealous. I'm over here drinking this White Claw. It's a hard seltzer. Oh, oh yeah, I know all about it. Oh, yeah. I'm over here uh, party rocking with my Black Cherry White Claw. It's a spiked sparkling water. It's a it's a hard seltzer. I keep that saying stuff that is so popular right now. A bunch of people in my family love it. It's super popular and and yeah, it's a it's a guilty pleasure. I'll say I'll say that. No guilt involved there. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't. But I guess there's all these associations in my mind with like the cool dudes at frat parties, like jumping into a swimming pool with their white claw. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Makes me feel young again. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be a bit long-winded, so that's not a strict time limit. This week, Joel, what do you have for us? I am so fascinated by this idea during COVID, and this kind of ties into our guest today, with QAnon and the Trump supporters who uh, stormed the Capitol building, this idea that ideas are viruses. And here we have, and I think we might have even talked about this earlier on, on our show. It's been so long, Jose, my goodness. But I brought up with uh, David, our guest this week, this cool study from MIT. They, uh, it's Sinan Aral and Deb Roy, they're co-authors of a great research report that shows that false news stories are 70% more likely to be retweeted than true stories are, which is a shocking number, and that they find that it takes about... True stories, it takes true stories about six times as long to reach 1,500 people as it does for false stories, which is another shocker. And um, when it comes to Twitter cascades, these are unbroken retweet chains. Falsehoods reach a cascade depth of 10 about 20 times faster than facts. Uh, so there's all kinds of cool stuff in this study about, for whatever reason, with human beings, we love to spread lies. I can't help but think that. All these uh, media corporations are making money off of this too. When you when you combine this propensity of humans to love the spreading of lies with the profit motive, I'm just telling. I don't know if we can ever get out of this mire. I thought after the capital rights that people would finally see the light, but I don't know. There's just way too much profit motive in it, and way too much human nature involved here. So that's kind of my my Fred uh, fact for today. I really appreciate that because I think it's apropos to refer to it as a virus. And we, and we, yeah. we haven't quite figured out the vaccine for it. Yep. I, and maybe you're right. Maybe the January 6th Capitol you know, insurrection was an inoculation and we're just kind of waiting for, I don't know, the second dose or we're waiting for the antibodies. I don't know, but or it might be like the vaccine that is, is only 50% effective because there have been, reports of, of thousands of people in each Republican party for each state um, defecting. But I mean, look at all the support of this. What's that gal's name from Georgia? Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor, they're, they're supporting her and they're ripping on Cheney. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Cheney, don't get me wrong, and especially no. of her dad. Yeah. But man, did she have some serious cojones and here they are ripping her. Man, it I so I don't think that the the what shall we say the boil has been popped yet. Unfortunately, it's really crazy. All what right. do you got uh, this week, Jose? I'm super super curious, and I've missed our religious talk. So I talk. So I hope that you got something religious related. I do, but it's not super long because I I feel like I've been so busy. I haven't had a chance to really dive in too deep on these issues. So this is a little. Pop culture, but um, nonetheless, it, it food for thought, I guess. So, for my Fred talk this week, I wanted to share that Gwen Stefani, the queen of ska, right, the former yep. uh, lead singer for uh, the band No Doubt, she finally received an annulment for her divorce. She'd been married to um, frontman Gavin Rosdale. I guess he was a singer for a band called Bush. Are you familiar with this? 
but yeah, I, I'm not, I don't listen to, to them, but I did know that. And she's now married to that guy from the voice. No. Or do I have my people totally wrong? Well, no, she's engaged. Thank you. So she's had to wait. Yes. So they got divorced. She and Gavin Rosdale, they were married for 14 years. And they got divorced five years ago. And Gwen finally got the annulment um, just a few weeks ago. Uh, she and Blake Shelton and their co-hosts of this show called The Voice, uh, it's kismet. They met on the show, fell in love. Now they make music together. And they've been cohabiting, if you will, to, to the best of my knowledge, during COVID. And so for, for Gwen, she's really, really wanted to get married in a church. She's really wanted to have her wedding be recognized as being valid uh, in the Catholic church. I didn't realize Gwen Stefani was so devout. So I don't know if it's because yeah. uh, she's, she's gotten older, she's gotten more devout, but... Um, so she's been really waiting for this annulment. She's finally got it. And uh, yeah, she's going to be getting married in the near future, uh, officially in okay. the church to Blake. I got a couple questions. So what does it take for one to get an annulment? And does the church, does it offer annulments equally? Do they have some kind of objective standards or do they give them out kind of by, I don't know, by what is the area of an, an archbishop um, like a controls? By precincts? Or how, how does that work? A diocese? No. Diocese, so the, there it is. Yeah, so the way that it works, and it, I don't know exactly. I, this, is not, this is an area that I'm not totally familiar with. But to the best of my knowledge, you would submit your request for an annulment to your bishop in your diocese. And then it's sort of like an investigation. They go through and they investigate. And then there's a panel, sort of like a trial. And so there's a team of lawyers who will argue on your behalf for an annulment. But then there's also a team of lawyers on the other side who will argue that your wedding is valid. And, huh. and so and I'm not sure how that gets hashed out. Ultimately, a decision is made. If you're marriage was licit and valid, then you would be denied your annulment. But if there's a way for them to come to the conclusion that your marriage was not valid or licit, um, then you would receive an annulment. It takes years. Oh, it's a multi-year I, I'm process. trying to not be disdainful and sound super no, uh, by all means, yeah. disrespectful. I just... I just, I mean, how many angels can fit on the, uh, the, the, what is it, the head of a pin, and uh, that people get hung up on that. Just for me now, uh, after you know, I just think that 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 causes too much misery. And I don't know that she was miserable, but she might have been, and and I'm sad for her if she was because of that. She shouldn't. I, I kind of believe that she shouldn't care about the church giving her that. I know that that's kind of uh, disrespectful for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, that's that's why we're that's why we're on this show. Um, <laughs> we're the perfect balance here. So I care to a certain extent, obviously, but I do think the process is too um, convoluted. And I think Pope Francis, in particular, has been trying to streamline the process. Because, like I said, there is an investigation. There is something of like a panel or a trial, and it is pretty onerous, and it it takes years. And so, and, and I do think that Gwen has been waiting for a number of years. And I, I don't want to say she's been impatient, but it seems like, especially during COVID, she's been like anxious for it to be resolved, and it finally has been. I think Pope Francis is correct in saying like, let's not put people through hell. Let's just try to get through the process here. And again, our hero. Shows his wisdom. And by the way, I, I'm getting off topic, but I have to ask you, I heard that he might be in poor health and it scares me just the same way that when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in poor health. Uh, what do you know about that? And um, I'm really actually worried about who might come after him because we both love him so much. Do you know anything about his health? He's actually in amazing health, especially considering COVID and the man only has like one and a half lungs. You know, and he was Oh, younger. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, when he was younger, one of his um, half of one of his lungs was removed. Despite all that, he's in really good health. But he has okay, maybe I don't know where I heard this, but so I'm glad to hear that. Well, okay, so you did hear something correctly because of COVID, he hasn't been going to physical therapy as often, uh, and so he has been suffering bouts of sciatica. Okay, so so his sciatic nerve is acting up and it's keeping him from being able to stand for long periods of time. He's in a lot of pain. Yeah. So he's had to cancel a few events and he would have done them happily. But his doctor said, because of your sciatic nerve acting up, 
I am telling you basically on doctor's orders that you have to cancel. Okay. Well, you put me at ease. That uh, doesn't sound too serious. He's not at the death's door. So good. No. He's going to be around for a long time, I think. That man has more energy than I do. So, <laughs> ah, That is great news. Love yes. him. And I think he's making a difference in the world. Definitely. This week, we are going to um, get into uh, conspiracy theories and QAnon. We have our guest, Jose. You've had him on before when I was not um, co-hosting because I've been gone for a while. Yeah, uh, David Lafferty. Welcome back, David. Maybe you can just give us just a a quick um, rundown on your background. Sure. Um, Well, uh, I I live in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, Canada. Um, so I'm coming in here with a, a bit of a Canadian perspective on things. I'm a former academic, I guess you could say. Um, I, I still work in higher education, but I, um, uh, I'm not a, a professor. But I, I did get my PhD, and um, I do I have continued working on some research, including um, a little bit of research into conspiracy theory. Um, that was something that I, I wrote a paper on. Um, well, this is going back now a little ways, but it was, you know, about 2014 or 2015, I forget now. But so, yeah, it's something that's um, uh, always been in my mind. I, I studied um, uh, Wyndham Lewis, um, who is a British modernist author, when I was doing my PhD and, and for my master's actually as well. And he was a part of this modernist group that also contained um, some conspiracy theorists like uh, Ezra Pound was probably the most notorious. And uh, he actually had a, quite a lasting influence even in the U.S. because he ended up coming back to the U.S. in the last part of his life and, and influenced people like uh, Eustace Mullins, um, who went on to plant the seeds of some of the stuff that you know we're dealing with today. So, yeah, it's something that's always fascinated me. Hey, can I just, I've been so curious about a certain question for ever since QAnon, I kind of got into QAnon by reading Twitter. Is there any correlation at all? Jose and I always talk about religion on the show and I'm kind of the, uh, the atheist or I have lots and lots of, of doubt. Jose is very devout Catholic. We love the give and take. Is there any correlation between conspiracists and religion? I know that I'm kind of getting off topic, but have you ever discovered any uh, in your in your research? Yes, I think I think there is a, a correspondence, but it's it. I wouldn't say it's um, necessary for for conspiracy theory. Um, I mean, if you look back at the uh, the 1930s, um, you get uh, Nazi conspiracy theory, um, which is you know very convoluted and intense about the the Jewish conspiracy. And that was largely unconnected to religious ideas. So it was based on a sort of scientific racialism and uh, that that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's true that the that Nazism had connections to some aspects of, of religion, whether it's pagan religion or Christian religion, they kind of incorporated um, elements. But I, I think at heart, it wasn't um, it wasn't deeply connected to religion. Same with, uh, actually, you get conspiracy theory showing up uh, in the, the Soviet Union in the 1950s or so, uh, around the, the time of the, you know, the final uh, Stalin era, um, especially when Stalin came to the conclusion that uh, there were doctors uh, who were out to sabotage the health of leading party members, um, and it was called the it became known as the Doctor's Plot. So, uh, and and it launched a whole kind of like persecution, and it, t- it took on a kind of anti-Semitic tone after a while because uh, many of these doctors were who were accused uh, were Jewish, and, and it became the sort of like just a paranoid nightmare. Uh, that uh, Russia pledged, or the Soviet Union pledged into uh, until the, the death of Stalin. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I think conspiracy theory can flourish in almost you know any any situation. It doesn't need religion, but I think religion can be incredible fuel uh, for conspiracy theory and can just kind of launch it into the stratosphere. Yeah, I just see so many connections between eschatology and 
like, you know, QAnon will always say, oh, that gate was wrong because of this and that. And you just, it's exact same thing with all these death cults. So I just was always kind of curious about that question. I'm getting a little off track, but thank you for your response. That was, yeah, that's what I figured. No, that's, that's okay. I mean, I'm fascinated by that too. And actually, um, uh, one of the, the QAnon scholars out there, Mark Andre Argentino, he's... Uh, yeah, I totally I'm love his, yeah, I love yeah. his Twitter account. And, and I'm totally, I'm, I'm really digging that you brought his name up. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a student. He's a PhD student doing just incredible work. And I think his um, degree is actually, that he's working on, is, is sort of a fusion of maybe computer science mixed with the study of religion somehow. So, you know, studying how something like QAnon, which is, you could categorize it as sort of like a new religion, um, is proliferating over the internet is just like the perfect uh, thing to study. So yeah, I've been following his work. I think when, um, with QAnon, especially though, there's a lot of connection to religion. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not the, the first person to, to say this, but the, it's connected to the um, great awakenings of American history. The idea of the great awakening is, is part of QAnon, this idea that um, the whole world is waking up to uh, you know what's really going on behind the scenes with the you know child murdering cabal that runs everything right so um, and it's very similar to in American history how you had these I guess you call them evangelical uh, great awakenings um, and in some cases predictions of apocalyptic events that didn't come true right so it's very much tied up with with that aspect of American history. Uh, and from my angle, I've been looking at how Catholics and and, and Catholic uh, thinking has been caught up in it, and it's it's less direct than with the evangelical groups that have ended up uh, moving to into QAnon territory. But um, but it's it's there for sure. That's I'm I'm so glad that Joel brought that question up because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the issue of satanic cults because when yeah. you were on last time you referenced that that's something that you had written about and you had studied and so i kind of wanted to before we dive into the whole q on topic touch on the satanic cult conspiracy theories the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s because there's kind of a religious component to that conspiracy theory you have all these white evangelical christian uh, middle class Americans who are freaking out about you know satanic cults. Maybe you can elaborate more on that. Well, it's interesting because I think the the satanic panic is an example of it. It is a conspiracy conspiracy theory was involved in it, um, but I would say it's actually more of an example of what's known as moral panic. So this is when you know a certain segment of of society becomes convinced that their values their um, everything that they hold sacred is sort of under attack by nefarious outside forces, right? So it's got this very defensive aspect to it. Um, conspiracy theory can play into that, absolutely, and it did during the, the satanic panic, but it's less of a sort of complex paranoia and more of a immediate psychosis right like where you're, you're you're worried about sort of like the immediate presence of, of threats that are out to get you um and especially when it comes to moral panic it always ends up being about children you know like there's people out there there are forces out there that want to take your children that want to kill your children that want to eat them or you know like whatever right and so this ties very much into QAnon, um which ends up becoming the the same sort of thing but on a, this grand scale where you know you have the the cabal of elites um who you know literally drink the the, the blood of, of children and uh, in order to to get their adrenochrome or whatever it is it's it, i mean it's kind of a nonsensical thing but um it's it's very much that idea that and it has i think they both kind of grew from some of the same same sources so um, did you guys see this guy who um who Co anderson cooper um interviewed who basically um apologized for thinking that anderson cooper was one of these uh, child blood drinkers did you at the time believe that democrat high level democrats and celebrities were worshiping satan drinking the blood of children Anderson, I thought you did that. And I would like to apologize for that right now. So I apologize for thinking that you ate babies. Um, but yeah, 
hundred percent. You actually, but you, but you actually, you actually believe that I was drinking the blood of children. Yes, I did. And I just wondered what causes these guys to to finally see the light. And I wonder also, did a lot of these guys who are patriots realize, oh my gosh, all these uh, supposed patriots that stormed the Capitol building. They're obviously evil, and it's only that they weren't there with them that made them see the light. I'm just wondering what causes these guys to finally turn to the truth. Is there anything that that we can do um, as a society to help these people out? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a really timely question, I think, because you know you, you've got a lot of people now who've gone all in on this kind of stuff, and it's going to cause a lot of potential, you know, psychological damage, damage to families, that sort of thing, unless, you know, we can figure out a way to uh, sort of deprogram some of these people. Um, now, I, I don't know a lot about, um, you know, like cult deprogramming. I mean, I think you could you could compare it to a cult that the, the QAnon has a, and, and the Trump sort of movement. Um, Trump had a sort of cult leader-like hold over a lot of people. You know, they're analyzing everything he said and his every move and even his gestures and, you know, to find, look for hidden messages. And that's exactly what you do with a a genuine cult leader in a, in a smaller, uh, smaller cultish organization. Um, this is on a massive, massive scale, and it's all done sort of through mass media. I, I can only kind of speak to my own experience in that, um, you know, I, I don't think I, I've never really gotten red pilled <laughs> in my life, but there have been times when, you know, like I've, I had periods where I'm like, you know, I'm reading about something and I'm like, oh, there might be something to this, you know, and then you start to kind of get into it and you start to think like, oh, there's actually a lot to this, this, this crazy theory actually is not so crazy when you think about it. And then what helps you snap out of it is always, I find context is always the problem with conspiracy theory is that it gets you to, to go from one source to another and just go deeper and deeper. And within the QAnon world, they call that going down the rabbit hole. And yeah, once you get into that world, those are your only points of reference. All the stuff that, you know, these other QAnon people have dug up and sort of curated for you. So when those are your only points of reference, everything does sort of make sense. Um, and you need to actually expose yourself to other contexts and other ways of seeing the world and understanding the world. Um, in order to gain new points of reference that might actually help make sense of, of what's going on. So I think that's the, the problem is the further you get into this stuff, the more limited your range of reference becomes and, 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 and methods of, uh, your methods of interpretation. So um, you'll start to see everything through that QAnon lens. So I don't think that the fact that Trump is, is, is gone from the White House and, and none of this stuff came true, that, that won't um, stop some people. They'll keep going. The only thing I think that can really stop them is, yeah, like kind of being exposed to some daylight, you know, having some kind of like sunlight is the best <laughs> disinfectant. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. Um, maybe once the pandemic is over, because I think the pandemic has fueled a lot of this stuff and taken it to levels that are just incredible, uh, because so many people are are in their houses all the time or in their basement on the computer. Um, they're living life through the computer. So it's just the, the sort of perfect storm for um, the, the development of the sort of hothouse of conspiracy theory. So once that's broken, hopefully... The, some sanity will return. Do you think that with the suspension of accounts on Twitter, with the deplatforming of Parler, that that's going to maybe down the line snuff out QAnon? Or do you think that it still could thrive in some dark corner? I mean, in my personal opinion, I think it's it's helped a lot. And looking at this now, I'm kind of thinking, you know, why wasn't this done earlier? Um, because... I mean, there are, there are valid concerns about freedom of speech, and you don't want to uh, just be banning accounts here and there. But um, I think we've maybe, you know, as a society, and not just in the US, but uh, Canada as well, and all over the world, I mean, we're realizing that there's a difference between freedom of speech and freedom of opinion and creating these sort of cultures of lies that um, sort of suck people in and um, are in some cases, you know, weaponized um, for, for political purposes that can really do harm to, to vulnerable people, um, that can make vulnerable people do crazy things. Um, and I think we saw that on, on 
January 6th um, with the, uh, you know, the, the storming of the, the Capitol. I mean, it's incredible. I, I, I started following QAnon in 2018. And at the time, I couldn't have imagined that it would go beyond just the kind of, you know, fringe Twitter and, uh, you know, message boards and things like that. And then seeing it sort of get into the, the mainstream, you know, once the pandemic hit, that seemed a bit unreal to me. Um, and then January sixth, I, I couldn't couldn't believe my eyes when uh, I, uh, I remember looking on uh, on Twitter and seeing a um, a photo of the the QAnon shaman, um, who's this like regular at these QAnon rallies and things, you know, standing in the, the Capitol building, and I, I just. <laughs> Yeah, so it's unlike anything anything I've seen before. Yeah, I have to admit that I was so naive about what you just talked about. I was, am such a huge libertarian, and and even though they're private companies, I totally would. I don't know. I would have before the capital riots been really aghast at them shutting people down, but I have totally come around. And thank goodness. And and you know, one thing that's really convinced me is this MIT report that says that. 70% false news stories that I'm reading there right now are 70% more likely to be retweeted than true stories are. True stories take about six times as long to reach 1,500 people. There's something about human nature, for whatever reason, that really latches on to, to untruth. And, and I was naive to that before I got a cop to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've come to the same conclusion, I think, because, you know, I, I'm... I, I don't like, uh, you know, clampdowns on freedom of speech. I, I, I think, you know, we should be as open as possible, um, as, as much as like, you know, I mean, there are there are always limits, but I, I think we should really stretch before we reach those 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 limits. Um, but I think this is where we've seen where uh, the line can can be crossed and crossed quite easily, especially. I mean, it, it became an issue in, in say like twenty sixteen when uh, like when the whole like fake fake news thing first started and that term started being used as 2016, 2017, I guess. And at that time, it seemed like it wasn't always pure lies, but it was um, very, very twisted, hyper-partisan um, presentation of, of the news. And that just grew worse and worse over time until I really feel like the end of, of 2020 and, and leading up to the January 6th, uh, event there, the Stop the Steal event, we were seeing just outright, complete lies being repeated over and over again. And they were being repeated by the President of the United States. And it was really something that I couldn't have imagined before. Um, so, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that that was around, they, after that, they they shut down Trump's account. And I got to say, it's it's eased that sense of like that oh, know, feverish. It really intensity. has helped. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's it's done a lot because um, people, yep. I think, didn't realize how well Trump was using Twitter and, and weaponizing it, and and how he had kind of, you know, developed this incredible online following um, that was yeah. feeding off of his tweets constantly. Yeah, it's, it's it seems like a different, a bit of a different world now. Like the fever has kind of broken a little bit, but I mean, yep. I know that stuff will linger absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't go away that that easily, unfortunately. Yeah, we have this Marjorie Taylor Greene in Congress, mm -hmm. and she is a QAnon wacko. There's no other word for it. I mean, this yeah. woman chased down David Hogg, who was a survivor of the Parkland uh, High School shooting. You know, she thought that uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax, that, that these were false flags, that there were actors. She, she's made some questionable comments regarding 9-11. So... Uh, I say all this because it, it seems like these people who adhere to conspiracy theories have made their way into positions of political power. So how dangerous is this for democracy, I guess, is the question. I mean, it, it, it's potentially uh, very dangerous. I, I, although it seems like um, there, there's some sentiment now building that uh, she, she may, might be expelled. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you deal with someone like that who's just willing to to deal in straight up lies? Um, you can't you can't reason with a person like that because they're 
that's one thing about like you know QAnon and 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 all of this stuff and the stop the steal and all, you can't reason with it because it's not logical in the first place, right? It's uh it's just an assemblage of crazy information that gets pulled from all sorts of sources and then thrown at you as a weapon. Um, what can you what can you do with that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a serious problem, and I think it's something that the Republican Party is going to have to deal with because. Um, they've been seriously, seriously compromised, I think, by by that. Um, I don't know if there's a way to get back to um, a sort of reasoned, principled conservatism in the U.S. It may be or it may be a little while before that happens, and it may take yet another sort of revolution within the Republican Party to get there. I, I, but very distressing, yeah. I thought that the fever would have broken because of... January 6th. I just kept on waiting and it is not happening. And and I thought this was finally it. And and when of course when when these companies have such profit motives to continue, Fox just has such profit motives to continue the lies. And and now it's Newsmax and, and I can't remember OANN, I guess it's taken a huge uh sliver of Fox's audience. And I don't I think that there's so much money in it. And I don't think that the elites believe in it, of course. They're just making so much money. I don't know if it's going to end. And it's here we are. It's crazy that we're here, but here we are. It's nutty. Yeah, guys like Tucker Carlson, they'll they'll keep it going for as long as they, they possibly can, I think. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I know Carlson is one of the one of the most popular people on uh, on TV right now. Um so it's it's a bit yeah it's a bit terrifying. Um, it's funny because some of this stuff, uh, and I'm not comparing Tucker Carlson to the, this person, but there was in the 1920s and 30s there was uh, Father Charles Coughlin, uh, who was a, a Catholic priest who had a radio show that was a, I think it was like a weekly radio show. It became one of the most listened to shows in all of the U.S. because he started delving into conspiracy theory. You know, at first anti-communist stuff and then eventually stuff that was very sympathetic to nazism and you know it was the same um kind of mentality that we see with some of the really hardcore uh populist right-wing uh people now um but yeah it, it 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 gets a huge huge audience there's something um that just drives people to it um and i think it's it's partly because it provides some kind of emotional need you know i've been i've been thinking a lot about populism and what it's all about it's always this like the ordinary people versus the elites who are like corrupt and uh, and, yeah. all. and so you have to get a, a strong man or a kind of ruthless, um, some kind of ruthless political force that will smash the elites, take back control for, you know, ordinary good people, and then everything will be good again. It's a very powerful fantasy, I think. And yeah, I mean, we, we saw it with, with, with QAnon in the most extreme form, you know, where the elites are are literally you know child eaters and you know they're they're satanic and they're um you know it's about they've taken it as far as <laughs> i can't imagine how far how much further they can they could take it and then they have all these fantasies about you know what they call the storm or you know the day when uh, you know all of these elites will be arrested and some of them will be hung and some of them will be put in guantanamo bay and all this you know so it's 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 all leading up to this great cathartic act of revenge on the elites but you know that's the problem it doesn't come it it doesn't it never arrives no so there's a guy who okay i'm i don't know if he listens to our podcast but he does follow us on social media and i've been curious enough to go check out his social media i won't say his name Mm -hmm. but i was astonished he posts videos um on his instagram and the day before the election he was going oh they're gonna go up on the stage and they're going to arrest Biden. They're going to arrest Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, and then he was, I think the next day or that night, he did another video where I just got word that they arrested the Pope and they arrested Nancy Pelosi. And then after the inauguration, he did another video where he was like, okay, guys, I got got. They didn't arrest the Pope. They didn't arrest Nancy Pelosi. But what the heck, man? He was right there on the stage. They could have walked up those stairs and arrested him. And then the next video, he's like, all right, guys, I got the straight story this time. You got to look into this. The United States is a corporation and Trump's going to bring back, you know, our republic and he's going to be inaugurated as our 19th president. Have you heard any of this insanity? Yes, I, I've heard some of this 
stuff about the United States as a corporation. And yeah, I mean, they're really getting desperate now. And I, I know that this is going on there. It seems that there are some QAnon people who um, have soured on it and are kind of moving back to reality, um, you know, maybe ever so slowly. Um, and then there are some people who are continuing on and are trying to build new narratives that will explain the the failings of the, the various predictions. So this this points to something that I, I kind of wanted to, to bring up, which is what I think is really fascinating about conspiracy theory is the way that it it's based on narratives, right? It's it's based on stories. And actually when you look at something like QAnon, it, it's really like a kind of collective storytelling, but just, you know, not in a good way. It's, uh, in a <laughs> except they're taking it very seriously as reality. And I, I actually looked at this in a, a paper I wrote and published on, on a, a conspiracy theorist named Douglas Reed. Um, he was a, a British writer from the 1930s. He was a journalist. And he, um, he actually he wrote a book called Insanity Fair, which um, became a really big bestseller in the 1930s. Um, and it was about Nazi Germany. And he was a bit of ahead of his time. And, and this was a time in, in, in Britain when people were kind of hoping for some kind of appeasement of Germany and, and some kind of negotiated peace. And, you know, they wanted, they didn't want war. Um, and, and Douglas Reed said, no, Germany's out to get us. They're out to get all of Europe. And, you know, he was, he was right in that sense. But if you read his work, even early on, um, and he, he published a, a whole series of books um, after Insanity Fair, but he, you saw that he also had a deeply rooted anti-Semitism, and he started writing about that in some of his works. And then these two things started coming into conflict. So he was you know, incredibly anti-Nazi and uh, thought that the Nazis were out to get everyone. He was also incredibly anti-Semitic and thought that <laughs> Jews were out to get everyone. Eventually, these things collided, and there was a synth synthesis occurred, and he decided that, ah, actually, the case is that um, Hitler is actually a puppet of, you know, the, the Jewish elites, and he's actually, you know, working on their behalf. And and that led him to to say that you know all oh, the persecution of the Jews is actually um, it's it, most of it's like fake it's just overblown so he was he, he was kind of like one of the first Holocaust deniers all because he, he refused to question these two conflicting beliefs and then eventually they they merged into this crazy synthesis which he stuck to the rest of his life um, and got even deeper into. So, and he came up with a whole grand conspiracy of the world um, in which, uh, you know, Hitler was a, a, a puppet of the, the Jews. So it, it shows how, and, and this guy was, a, I really liked his first book, Insanity Fair. He's actually like a smart guy and, you know, observant. And, but even, even a really smart guy like that, when you have these two conflicting impulses or, or narratives you can get led into crazy land very quickly um, if you if you refuse to to question them uh, i think you've touched on something that's really interesting because i don't know about you jose but it's the really intelligent students in in our classes or maybe just my class who are the ones who are actually more likely to bring up and maybe even believe because we talk once in a while about kids beliefs in, in different things and and man i always am struck by the fact that it's my smart students who believe in a lot of the crazies. Jose, what do you find about uh, about that? Oh, totally, 100%. I'll have students tell me, you know, Mr. Rodriguez, the Illuminati is completely real. And they'll go through like, well, in the Beyonce video, there's this eyeball. But then if you look at this Drake video, there's this. And then if you, and they go through all these things they've seen on YouTube and they connect all these dots that were not there. And, and yeah, and you're, you're totally right. They use their genius to create these false narratives um, of conspiracy just, theories. I wonder if it's an indictment of the education that we're not, I mean, there's certainly enough awesome stuff in the world for them to, to to blow their minds, right? But are we not giving it to them, or what's the deal? Because you know the bright minds are the ones that are always searching for you know knowledge and going down those rabbit holes. So that's a really interesting point. This guy was so smart. I find that's very very likely. Yeah, I think um, you know a, a lot of the time extremism um, and conspiracy theory it can it can latch very easily onto to very intelligent people um and it might be because people with a certain you know level of intelligence are you know they, they like to think about things they like to be critical they like to 
look behind the scenes at what's really going on. Yeah. Right? And there's there's some validity to that, right? Like, I mean, critical thinking is a good thing. Um, I think it's a great thing, actually. Um, but conspiracy theory is kind of like the trap that critical thinking can fall into if um, if it's taken too far, if you, if you enter into a sort of relativistic mode or if um, you're driven by particular impulses or insecurities or fears or, or something like that, right? So... Um, yeah, I like to think of, of the Epstein case because I'm, I'm quasi-conspiratorial on that. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of times when there's an obvious motive for the nefarious, you always, you know, you're always going to uh, attach to the, uh, to the obvious motives. So, yeah, that's, that's very true. And just to add to that, Joel, I think that with people who glom onto conspiracy theories, and especially if they're intelligent, there's almost like this feeling that they're superior to other people. Well, like I'm, yeah. I'm more intelligent than you because I see what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I see the web that's being spun. Oh yeah, they they drip with disdain, don't they? They look down on all those fools who don't understand what's really happening. Yeah, I yeah that's and then of course. There's also the, the tribalism because so many QAnon people just love this sub- subculture they're part of, and they just love the belongingness. and And I think for a certain percent, for a pretty decent percentage, uh, that's got to be a big part of it. Yeah, that, that's something that, that comes up quite a bit. I think when when people are looking at QAnon is the sense of community um, and how important that is. And I mean that shows too. Like you know, this is something we're obviously you know as a society. And I'm talking kind of North America, the West, you know, like um, we're, we're failing on some level in that um, people are desperate for that sense of belonging, that sense of common purpose, um, yes. shared goals and, and th- things like that. So, I mean, a lot of the people who get into QAnon, if you hear them talk to them, it's like a very wholesome movement, right? Like it's like what can mm-hmm. be wrong with wanting to help children and redress, you know, injustices and things like that. So to them, it's, it's, it's something very wholesome and they're like, you know, try to involve their whole family in it and, and, and that sort of thing. But well, that yeah, just was, reminds me of what, every time I see these people marching, I expect to see ogres and they just seem so put together. And so, I don't know, they just, they, they, a lot of times they're really beautiful people and they're like, what? You guys seem like you are so, you know, so on time. You've got the world at your hands, but you've gone down this crazy rabbit hole, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but the people who, you know, who stormed the Capitol and everything, they did it because they they truly thought that this was the the greatest injustice in American history that was being, you know, perpetrated right in front of them. So they they truly believed that. And if 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 you truly believe in that kind of thing, you know, that you'll do you'll do crazy things. You'll do even violent things sometimes. Um, so I think the problem is, you know, how did it get that far? How did it? How did people get? to that level of, of conviction um, and, and how do we stop that from happening and, and, and channel these things these, these into something more productive. I mean, if people had taken all the energy they put into QAnon and put it towards, you know, like helping during the pandemic and, um, you know, making sure that people are safe and secure and have food and all the, you know, like those kind of things. I mean, that could have done some real, real good, but, you know, instead it was channeled into this, this crazy conspiracy theory. I mean, I know um, this has come up a lot with um, organizations that are are actually legitimate organizations to protect children. So um, organizations that deal with human trafficking or deal with um, uh, missing children and things like that, they have spoken out against QAnon because um, they say this completely hampers legitimate efforts to save children. Um, so yeah. like again, these are genuine concerns. I mean, we should be concerned about um, the exploitation of children, about things like human trafficking. And just like, you know, we should be concerned about the whole Epstein scandal, right? Because I think what happened there is really disturbing and, and, and shows that, you know, this there may be some like really awful immorality sort of behind the scenes in our world. But you got to be very, very careful to see it as it is and not sort of let it exponentially blow out of proportion until, um, yeah, I think like something like, the, yeah, it starts with something like the Epstein scandal and then grows until it involves, you know, everyone yeah. in Hollywood, everyone in government, everyone, you know. So, yeah, there are sometimes people like that. That's true, but I, I don't think um, I don't think it's anywhere near as widespread as as they uh, like to imagine. 
and I've heard it, I've heard it pointed out before too that the QAnon people will point to the the number of children that are missing every year, and they'll say like, well, you know, and it's and it's a lot. Like I forget what the, the exact number is, but every year in the United States, certain number of children go missing. You know, and they see those numbers and they think, well, how can this be happening? Where are all these children? Like, you know, we got to save them. We got to. They don't realize. They don't actually look behind the statistics and see like, well, actually, the vast vast majority of these are runaways. These are children who have gone missing because one parent you know, takes them without permission and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the ordinary world of protecting children is finding runaways, finding kids who have been sort of abducted by their parents, step-parents. Um, and it's not the the sort of, you know, a nefarious cabal taking your children uh, out of their kindergarten or something like that. That's, you know, those things... <laughs> can happen it does like you know is but it's it's so it's it's very 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 rare and that that ties back to to the 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 moral panic thing that you know you saw with the uh, the satanic panic a lot of it emerged out of concerns about somewhat legitimate concerns about child abuse right so um uh, this was a in, in the, the early 80s this is a time period where you had a lot more women entering the workforce um so you had a lot more um, kids being put in daycares. So you end up with a lot of parents being sort of worried about this. Um, there are, you know, of course, there's sometimes there are these, you know, cases of, of um, child abuse or, or molestation that occur in daycares. And, you know, thankfully, they're, they're usually rare. But these things can snowball and it can become, you know, suddenly you're worried about things that are completely unreasonable or you're, or you're, you're kind of the people's imaginations run, run wild and, and things, um, things can escalate very quickly until you start to believe that, you know, all the daycares are run by um, pedophiles and, oh, and they're actually all in satanic cults and they're all connected and they're all, you know, so um, it can, it can escalate very quickly and you have to kind of keep yourself planted firmly in sort of everyday reality, I think. Yeah. Okay. So to follow up, for those of us who are not familiar with QAnon, which of QAnon's predictions, which of Q's predictions have not come true? Oh. <laughs> it's an exhaustive list, but what are the main ones? Well, I mean, I think that the very first QAnon post in 2018 was, it was a post about the imminent arrest of Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I think I think that's the case. I may I may be wrong, but no, I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was the imminent arrest of, of Hillary Clinton. Um, this was going to happen. This was secret information that was being passed along through message boards. Um, and of course, it didn't happen. It um, nothing happened, and that began that sort of process of of narrative building, where you start something disappointing happens the prediction doesn't come true but then you incorporate that into some kind of new super narrative that um can explain it away and eventually you know it just got so complex i remember back early on QAnon, jeff sessions was supposed to be the guy who was going to kind of bring the hammer down on the cabal even though and then there was some there was some conflict between trump and jeff sessions and you know the official line became like oh well they're just they're doing this on purpose. They're pretending not to like each other. Um, it's all just part of the game. It's all part of the plan. Um, you know, so then, of course, Jeff Sessions gets fired or whatever, and uh, nothing happens. He didn't do anything. He didn't come through as the great person who was going to, you know, uh, bring the hammer down on the, the cabal. And then so they find someone new, and there's always someone coming along, whether it's, you know, Bill Barr or whoever, who's going to be the person who's working with Trump, who's on the inside, who's going to you know, be the hero that finally makes this all happen. And then ultimately it came down to Trump and 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 he didn't he didn't pull it off either. <laughs> so yeah, there's just been there's been so many um it, it's hard to keep track of them. You could make a, a very detailed like calendar sort of list of, of all the uh the predictions that that didn't come true and and I think you might find um just you know uh, because of the law of averages, you might find you know one or two that did come true. But <laughs> right. Hey, David, is is there are there any um, predictions that they made about COVID? I mean, we even had Ted Cruz 
say uh, before the election that you watched the day that uh, that Biden or uh, Trump gets elected, the pandemic will end. And it is shocking. And this has so much to do with conspiracy. Shocking how many people think that the COVID is entirely political. But was there any QAnon discussion about uh, the illegitimacy of, of COVID? Well, I know that, uh, you know, COVID denial runs very strong in, in QAnon. Yeah. And um, at QAnon rallies, typically, you know, they're, they're all maskless and, and that sort of yeah. thing. I'm trying to remember now, um, thinking back to the QAnon posts, exactly what was said about COVID. I know, I remember Q making a post about that referenced Trump referring to COVID as the invisible enemy. So Trump had uh-huh. made this reference to COVID as the invisible enemy. But in QAnon land, that became interpreted in a new way. Uh, through Q's hints that he was talking about the invisible enemy of the cabal. It wasn't, um, you know, so I think that, I think there was kind of some stuff about COVID being uh, maybe a a bioweapon, but it it got, it got a bit confusing because again, it was this, the sort of the narrative kept changing to try to accommodate um, what was going on. And I think COVID took a lot of QAnon people by surprise. And so there was a lot of like kind of crazy attempts to, to fit it into their narrative. Um, and, and Q, the Q posts themselves were, were not always helpful because they're so cryptic. Um, they were just kind of like little seeds that would be planted and then the QAnon people would sort of develop them. But but definitely, I think QAnon denial runs very high in, in QAnon circles. Um, yeah. So as we wrap up, because we've, we've really appreciated you joining us here to unpack all of this, but to follow, mm-hmm. up, uh, to follow up on what Joel said just now, is QAnon active in Canada? Like, and and also as a second question, how are you guys handling COVID? Are there, are there also kind of like conspiratorial impulses that are worsening the crisis there? Well, yeah, I mean there there are uh, conspiratorial impulses here. We we have anti-maskers and COVID denialists as well. I think some of the more prominent. Um, Jose, you'd be familiar with LifeSite News, um, but uh, yeah, they're a, a Catholic pro-life um, site that uh, has been around quite a long time, and they started in Canada. Now they're located in the U.S. as well, but um, they became just this sort of you know massive producer of I don't know crazy propaganda about um, COVID and about how this is all connected to like a great chastisement and it's all, you know, so there's lots of conspiracy theory that comes out of LifeSite News. Um, there's also Epic Times. I don't know if you are, you guys are familiar with with the Epic Times, but um, I, I, I remember Epic Times uh, back when I was doing my degrees, um, I would kind of, you know, look at uh, in, the, in the university that they'd often have a stack of Epic Times newspapers. And I knew that they were a, a newspaper um, of Chinese expatriates. They were all, I think, connected to Falun Gong, the Falun Gong movement. So there was a kind of anti-Chinese um, communist um, angle to their stuff. Um, but it was, it was kind of relatively um, innocuous to me at the time. Um, but when Trump came along, they got right on the Trump bandwagon and just became this sort of incredible misinformation powerhouse. And they now send, like I, I received a free copy of Epic Times in my mailbox just last week. And um, so they, they go and they just blanket whole provinces, it seems, with free copies of the Epic Times with all this stuff, this like crazy, crazy anti-Chinese propaganda um, and stuff about COVID and and sort of all sorts of misinformation. And they were on the whole Trump thing for a long time. I know that there are two postal workers in Canada who just recently said that they would not deliver Epic Times anymore. One of them said that, you know, this is this is far-right informa- misinformation. I, I can't do this. It's against my conscience to do this. Another a woman uh, who was, I, th- I believe she was Chinese herself, uh, was worried that it would cause, you know, anti-Asian sentiment if, if people were getting this stuff kind of maybe thrown into their mailbox um, by a, a Chinese organization and it's all, or maybe because it was, it's all kind of propaganda about China. So they've, I think they've actually been suspended by their union, but um, I kind of, I kind of respect them for taking a stand 
Um, cause again, it's kind of this, it's where, uh, you cross that line, I think a little bit, like it's not free speech anymore. It's, you're just, this is weaponized misinformation that you're, um, putting out there, um, on a, on a massive scale. Um, and so again, vulnerable people can be hurt by this, you know, um, or very seriously misled by this. So yeah, we have that. We've had some anti-lockdown protests and I noticed, and, uh, that some of the signs that were being used had a sort of um, Q-leaning images um, on them and, and the slogans seemed similar. It, it wasn't um, explicitly QAnon, but I, you can tell. I mean, once you get a kind of idea of the flavor of that sort of um, conspiracy theory, you can, you can see it happening. And I, I think it was, it was intertwined in some of these anti-lockdown protests. But they've been, they've been small and actually... You know, for the most part, um, I think people have been pretty good about, uh, you know, just doing their best to, you know, wear a mask, take just, you know, basic precautions. It's really not that big a deal. Um, I think I, we we just we've been going through a, another lockdown, and um, I think that's been a bit hard on people because we had to people were not really following the rules. Um, so we had a, a big rise in the, the number of, of cases, and I think it's 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 getting to be a bit hard on everyone's mental health. You know, even people who fully support uh, any of the you know all the lockdowns, I find it a bit hard. I'm kind of you know getting tired of it now, but yeah, I think I'm I'm hoping that once we come out of this, there's going to be some clarity, and it'll be kind of like we're coming out of the rabbit hole that we've all been in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do kind of think they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for your time. We appreciate it. You are awesome and very informative. Oh, thank great. you very much. I appreciated appreciate you guys having me on. And I know we kind of just touched on a whole bunch of things that we could have gone into much further. But, you know, if you ever want to talk again and we can delve more into satanic panic or, or anything or QAnon, you know, or other conspiracy theory, I'm always happy to do that. It's a cool, interesting, but really sad, sad subject. Yeah, it is. It is. We're it we're is. all educators here, and it's. I feel like a failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's the fault of uh, of teachers necessarily. I, I I think it's it's the media, and but especially social media. Um, I think maybe if we're got if we're going to do anything, we need to teach people to be more critical about what they find on social media. Um, and how they use yes. their critical thinking skills, right? So um, critical thinking is invaluable. It's, you know, it's so essential, I think, but um, you don't want to become so skeptical about the way things are and the way the world works that you're willing to believe anything about what goes yep. on behind the scenes, right? So you got to be careful. Totally. Well, thank you so much, David. And we'll, All have right. have you, we'll have to have you back on again. Okay. Well, Thanks, uh, David. Being here. Okay. Have a great, uh, great evening. You too. You too. So this is the part of the show where Jose and I like to talk about what we've been watching and what we've been listening to. So, Jose, what do you recommend for us, either on TV or for our ears? So that's funny because I was just thinking, like, I feel like I've been watching a lot of terrible stuff. Um, nothing that I really want to, um, like, recommend. But then I rem remembered, yes, actually, I did. I watched a movie called Ford versus Ferrari. Now, have you heard of Ford versus Ferrari? I watched it and loved it and forgot to recommend it last time. Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Loved I it. I don't know squat about cars. And my wife was like, we're going to take away your man card because you don't know anything about cars. But I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like jokes on you. I never had the man card to begin with. So uh, yeah, Ford versus Ferrari. It's about this American car designer. His name's Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon, and driver Ken Miles. Ken Miles is played by Christian Bale. And there is this whole backstory of like Ford, um, their car company going in, into decline. They're trying to compete with other companies like Ferrari. And Lee Iacocca figures out that if we could, if we could build a car 
and have it be in some kind of race like Le Mans in France or the Daytona, maybe we could gin up interest in the car, the car company and boost sales. And so the whole movie is about building the car, designing the car, you know, and, and the drum that plays out between the drivers and the Ford company. And, you know, how Ford company tries to meddle with decisions that are made in the, um, the driver's seat, if you will. Really, really dramatic, tense. I was crying. I was laughing. I was on the edge of my seat. So good. So good. Yes, so good. And it's funny because my my cousin's husband, great guy. He made it really, made it well in Silicon Valley and bought one, a 4GT. And man, are those gorgeous cars. And we got to actually watch him race his Porsche at uh, Laguna Seca. And, and that whole subculture is so so, so cool. If you ever have a chance to go watch a, a race at Laguna Seca or any place, do it. I mean, nobody was there because it was COVID, but it, it's just really fun. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I like I said, I like cars, but I'm not like super interested. I'm like, oh, what is that? A Porsche? My wife's like, that's a Ferrari. I'm like, oh, see, that's <laughs> yeah. how little that's I That's about how I am. And I'm like, oh, Ford, you know what that stands for, right? Fix it again, Tony. Um, <laughs> and she's like, no, yeah. it's found on road dead or something anyway i'm terrible at cars what are you watching or listening joel my wife and i are she's hawaiian and we just eat up anything hawaiian as people who listen to the show know we watched a show that is super cheesy so if you don't like for instance goonies because it's kind of it's almost a just a fitting image of goonies don't watch this but if you're kind of okay with goonies Watch this. It just came out on Disney last Friday. It's a total junior high type show, but it's actually got quite a bit of Hawaiian culture in it. And it's called Finding Ohana. Uh, Ohana means family. Ohana means family. Family means nobody, nobody gets, gets left, left behind or... or forgotten. I know. I know. I hate it when you use Ohana against me. The characters are super, it's really hard to like them until the end. So just know that going through, these are idiot characters at the beginning. Just stay with them. And I think that's kind of part of it. Speaking of Hawaii, I love Slack Key. Slack Key is a way of playing guitar in Hawaii. And it was brought over by Mexican and uh, Brazilian cowboys, basically. And it's a, just a beautiful guitar style, Slack Key. And I've, I thought we watched this guy named Makana, who's one of the masters of Slack Key on Kauai about three years ago. And I just discovered um, a quasi Slack Key album from him, which is almost kind of Slack Key slash New Age, which is just amazing. For people that are okay with songs that don't have words and want some background music, um, his album is called, and it sounds very, very New Age ish. Venus and the Sky Turns to Clay. It's kind of a combination of new age music and slacky, but man, he is a master of guitar. So that's a that's a Hawaiian kind of Disney show movie and an artist who put out a really cool album. That's cool. I need uh, I need more music in my life. It's all movies and TV shows, a lot of Netflix and a lot of like Hulu. Same here. But music. I need yep. more music in my life for sure. Yep, put it on on the way to work or like when you don't have to listen to the lyrics because it's this has no lyrics. So it's yeah. just good stuff for background music. I'll, I will put some on. <laughs> Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find the show. And be sure to find us at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back, Joel. Glad you're in good health. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Woo. <laughs> We're back. Yeah.